0: If you have a Bible with you, please open up to John chapter 6. We are going to do a lot of John chapter 6 today, and you'll see it's a long chapter. And we're going to see what we can do with this. So turn to John chapter 6. I'm going to read for us chapter 6, verses 25 through 42. It says this. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do, that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I have come down from heaven. Would you join me in prayer? Lord God, we we need your spirit this morning to speak to us, to reveal the meaning of this passage, to, to give us understanding. Lord, would you open our minds, open our hearts to receive your word today. And Father, we just thank you for the great truth that you have sent Jesus. His blood has covered our sin. Your wrath is satisfied And though we were enemies, you have brought us near to be your friends and seated us at your table. We thank you again, Father, for that wonderful truth. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. There's a a well-known quote that is attributed to Charles Spurgeon, and it says this, The same sun which melts wax hardens clay, and the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sin. If you've heard this before, or or maybe you're hearing it for the first time, you probably have experience that correlates with these words. When you've had conversations with others about God's word, you see some who are humbled and and drawn to repentance and drawn to learn more about who God is, and you see others who become hardened and even angry at what God's word says or what it requires. And in John chapter 6, we have a very interesting thing that happens we see great crowds gathering to hear from Jesus. And as he has words that are harder and harder to hear, we see the group dwindle down to just the 12. And at the beginning of John 6, we have this great scene that is so well known. The crowd is following Jesus, and he has compassion on them. He's healing their sick. He's giving them teaching. And it was coming to mealtime, and so they didn't have anywhere to eat. They were by the sea. And so Jesus tells his disciples, we're going to feed them. The disciples say, we don't have near enough money for that. Besides, we don't even have any food. All we have is this boy who brought a sack lunch. And Jesus says, well, go and get the bread, go and get the fish, and we're going to feed the people. And as you know, Jesus multiplied the food and distributed it amongst the crowds. And, and there was plenty for people to have seconds and thirds. And there was enough to take home afterwards and Jesus came to show them that their hunger wouldn't only be satisfied but it would but as a blessing that would come in abundance to his people. And there were over 5000 men, not to mention women and children present, and some scholars estimate as many as 20,000 people could have been served at this meal. And this miracle, the feeding of the 5000, this was not lost on the people. They recognized that this must be the prophet. And the response was actually overwhelming because if you look in John in verse 15, Jesus perceived that this crowd might turn into a riot that was going to come and take him by force and turn him into their king. But then, towards the end of this chapter, in verse 66, it says this After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. How do we have a chapter that starts on such a marvelous high note, and then we have the crowds dispersing and dwindling? Down to just the 12th. Well, as we dive deeper into this chapter, we will see that although people recognize great things that Jesus did, they didn't understand his mission and they did not believe. And to the crowd of people, Jesus starts speaking hard words to them. And he has words that are hard to understand and words that are just hard to take. And it's by speaking truth that Jesus ends up thinning the crowd of followers. And as I read the next section, it becomes clear that there is a great mass appeal to Jesus, but many people will miss who he really is. Starting in verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So the crowd, the crowd that was fed follows Jesus to the other side of the sea. And when they see him, and I love how it's worded here, they say, Jesus, when did you get here? And John lets us know what's going on there because Jesus responds, right away, that they were seeking another meal from Jesus. They had the right guy, but for the wrong reason. Jesus tells them not to be working and striving after food that is temporary, but for that which will sustain you and give you eternal life. Now, there's good reason for the crowds to be following Jesus, to be gathering around him. He had intriguing teaching. He had compassion on them. He healed those that were sick, and he gave them food to eat. And we know this to be true in our culture today, that Jesus has this mass appeal to him. Some seek after Jesus because of his words about caring for the poor and the marginalized, and they seek Jesus as a means to social change. Some seek after Jesus for his words of wisdom, although he's some sort of uh, Zen life teacher that gives you peace and harmony. And some seek after Jesus because of how he models self-sacrifice. They see him as an example of risking it all for a cause or for the love of fellow man. And others still seek after him for how he is compassionate and loving and and loves us despite our faults, despite our imperfections. And these are not bad things in and of themselves, and they are true of who Christ is. The issue with the mass appeal of Jesus is that we would stop short at the virtue of Christ. Because Jesus sets a great example of love, care, and compassion, and wisdom, but if that's all who he is, then there's nothing unique about him. Every ancient culture can point to a good teacher in their past who said similar things to Jesus. The mass appeal of Jesus says that we want specific things out of our religion rather than Christ himself. And this is why Jesus says, stop laboring for the food that is going to make you hungry again. There's food out there that satisfies you for eternity. So don't come to Jesus just for a free meal, because he wants to give you so much more than that. Now let's continue on reading. In verse 29, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? see, Jesus piques their interest and they want to know the work that they must do to receive the food that Jesus tells them. And he says, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. And they get, they get what Jesus is saying, that he's talking about himself. And their response is, well, when God sent a sign to our forefathers, he sent manna from heaven. Why should we trust you? What sign can you show us? And this is where I'm thankful that Jesus isn't like me, because I would have responded, Uh, Did you see the whole bread thing? Do do you remember when I fed everybody lunch yesterday? You you recognize that I didn't come over with my disciples, yet somehow I'm here across the lake? Are you kidding me? But Jesus doesn't respond that way. He is is humble and nice. (laughs) And instead, he tells them the meaning of the manna in the desert. Moses didn't give them the manna. Their father in heaven is the one who sends food from heaven. And in this moment, he has sent the true bread who gives life to the world. Let's read 35 through 40. It says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And this is where we see that Jesus has great truth to share here, but it's also a truth that hardens some of the people. The people say, give us this bread, and Jesus says, I am the bread. It's not a food that you eat, but it's a belief that you have. It's a trust that God has sent a Redeemer into the world. It's faith not in a meal right now, but in an eternal existence with the Father. And in verse 36, he says, I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. See, Jesus is doing God's plan, and his words to the crowd here, they're they're hard to hear because they're missing it. They are staring God in the face and refusing to believe him. And in verse 40, he says, Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And it's evident that many people in this crowd have seen Jesus, but they have not looked upon him for eternal life. These are hard words to take. There's comfort for us who believe, though, because we have the confidence that Jesus will receive all those that are meant to come to him. And if we have looked on him for life, then when we trust him for the resurrection of the dead, that is a done deal. We have that confidence. But I think this should cause us to pause because many people will hear Jesus' words and will see his teaching, but desire from him the wrong thing. Do you seek Jesus as a means to something else, or do you seek Jesus himself? Is he a means to financial gain? Is he a political cause to you? Is he simply your self-esteem boost? If you are seeking Jesus for life, you will be satisfied. But if you are looking for something else, you will be hungry again. And when Jesus spoke to the large crowd of people, he didn't soften his, soften his approach or withhold certain things in order to get the crowd bigger and, and get more numbers. He went after them with hard truths. And we will see now that in response to these truths, the crowd shrinks into a smaller group of disciples. Let's read verse 41 through 60. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets that they will all be te- taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. And this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. And when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Now, at some point, the whole bread-of-life conversation moves into the Capernaum synagogue, and it's being discussed amongst the Jews, whom it calls Jesus' disciples. And as we'll see later on, there's a distinction between the twelve disciples and the larger group of disciples here. We mentioned Moses and Manna in the previous paragraph, but there's even more here that should be reminiscent of the study we did in Exodus this past year. The first line says, The Jews grumbled about him. And just as the hungry Israelites grumbled in the desert, so the spiritually hungry Jews in Capernaum grumble against Jesus. And in verse 44, Jesus is emphatic, stating again, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. There is a physical inability for us to come to Jesus unless the Father draws us. And this explains how one can look upon Jesus, but it's almost as if they are seeing through a veil of some kind that that they're unable to see him fully. They're unable to see that he is the bread of life, that he is God in the flesh. And Jesus explains that he is the living bread that was in heaven that came down to earth and is going back up to heaven. And if anyone eats this bread, they too will be risen to new life. All who look on him and believe will be raised up with him. But who can believe? Those whom the Father gives to the Son. And boy, is this offensive. This is offensive to religious pluralists and universalists, people who say all religions teach the same thing, or many pass to God, any of those sorts of things. Because we see here, Jesus makes exclusive claims. There's only life through Him. The only path to the Father is in Him. The only eternal life is in Him. Not only does this mean that it's only Christianity, but it's not even all people through Christianity. It's only those whom the Father draws. But this is also offensive to many who call themselves Christians. Some people rely on thinking that they've earned a place in heaven. That they were smarter than the rest, that they figured out the right religion. Or better yet, they think that their good behavior is what's earning them eternal life let us remember here that Jesus says no one can come to him unless the Father draws him. There is an inability. Only by the action of the Father does any person go to Jesus. Left on our own, we would not choose God. We are unable. And as that song that we sing here says, If you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. Now, if your first reaction is, hey, 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 what about free will? I know there's something in there about free will. Come talk to me afterwards. <laughs> uh, I, no, nothing would make me happier than diving into election and predestination and, and all of the finer points there. And I, I, seriously, I would love to talk to you about it. Um, but for now, I, I want you to just look at Jesus' words here and, and take him at his words. If you have been drawn to Jesus, it was the Father's doing. You don't go to Jesus unless you were drawn to him. Now, what about all that eat my flesh, drink my blood stuff? I know many of you come from a Catholic background, so I want to spend a moment discussing how we interpret this passage, especially in regards to taking communion. In the book of John, this is just the latest example of Jesus taking an object or or a concept and drawing an analogy that helps us understand a greater spiritual truth. The whole book of John begins with John comparing Jesus to a word which came down from heaven and took on flesh and lived amongst his people. And when we saw Jesus talking to the woman at the well, and he uses a very similar analogy here, but there with water, where he says, you're seeking after something that will quench your thirst now, but I can give you living water that lasts for eternity. And if these things weren't enough to know that Jesus is being metaphoric or symbolic here, Look to see that the Jews were misunderstanding what he's saying. In verse 52, it says, The Jews disputed amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And at that point, Jesus did not hand them his leg with a fork and a knife and say, Dig in. It's also reminiscent of when Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, and he said, You must be born again. And Nicodemus' reaction was, What? Jesus, I can't go into my mother's womb. That's not how these things work. And and we're given these reactions from people in Scripture to show us that there's a greater spiritual reality to what Jesus uses ordinary objects and concepts to speak of. But then we still have that question, what is that greater reality that he's talking about? Eating the flesh and drinking the blood is trusting and believing in Jesus, specifically in believing in his death, which atoned for sin. If you look back at the passage, we see this continuity. It says in verse 40, Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus gives physical bread to satisfy physical hunger. For spiritual hunger, He gives Himself. The only thing that will satisfy the spiritual longing within each of us is Him. Consuming something spiritual is belief and trust in that which is given to you. And Jesus gives us an example here. In verse 58, he says, This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. The Israelites in the desert, they ate the bread, they ate the manna, which came down from heaven. But eating it, eating the manna, had no salvation effect in itself. When they ate it, they did not gain any more years on their life. The point was never to trust in the bread itself. Eating the bread was always a dual purpose. It it satisfied a real hunger, but it it led them to trust in God daily for his provision. And and this is the way that God designed it. If you remember our study on this, that they would have to go out every day and pick it up, and if they tried to save it to the next day, it would spoil. But then none of the manna fell on the Sabbath, so they'd pick up extra on the day before the Sabbath. And it it put them in this place that they had to daily trust in God. And, And the idea is that if we're constantly eating of the provision that God has given us and trusting in Him daily, if we can trust Him for those things, we can trust in Him for our salvation from our sins. For the Israelites, eating the manna was always a spiritual experience where they showed their trust for the giver of the bread. And Jesus points to the reality here that he is the bread that gives eternal life. And we have the benefit of knowing where this story goes because Jesus' body must be broken and his blood must be spilled. It is only in trusting in his sacrifice that we have eternal life. His flesh is true food. His blood is true drink. And although we do not affirm during communion that the bread and the juice physically become his flesh and blood, If we do not remember these words and trust in the greater significance that Jesus is speaking to, then then we will equally miss the point. If Jesus did not lay down his life, we have no eternal life. If his blood was not spilled, we have no forgiveness of sin. If he did not die, we would still be in our sins and would die to our sins. But as it stands, Jesus, the true bread from heaven, came down. His body was broken for us. His blood was spilled for us. And if our trust, if our belief, if our confession is that we are partakers in His flesh and blood, then we have the eternal life that He promises. Now, as we know, in the desert, many of the Israelites experienced the wonderful sign day after day of His provision, and still they did not believe. And here we have Jesus, the true bread sent from heaven, given to the people for them to feed And some of his closer disciples didn't even understand. We're going to look at uh, verses 60 through 71. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? As Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. And he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So, in a short period of time, we have seen Jesus' followers number in the thousands or even the tens of thousands, and it has diminished into the group of disciples, and now we are left with just the twelve. The disciples here, in response to all we have heard already, said, These are hard words. Who can hear them? And they take offense because they do not understand. They cannot understand the hard words of Jesus because they've been hardened by Jesus' words. And this comes at no surprise to Jesus. Because as it says, Jesus knew from the beginning who would not believe, as well as that it was Judas who was going to betray him. And it repeats to them the same words that he said to Nicodemus, life does not come by works of the flesh, but only by the Spirit. Genuine faith does not come by adhering to a set of rules. It is not by good feelings or strong desire. Genuine spiritual life only comes as a gift of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus knows those to whom this gift is given and those who will turn away. Jesus knows that his words of truth will soften some and lead them to repentance and those same words will harden others and they will turn away. And in verse 66 he says, After this, many of his disciples turned back And no longer walked with him. And it's important here that we remember the doctrine of the incarnation that the Son of God took on flesh, he was fully God and fully man, because what we have here is not some distant, callous person who delights in frustrating others. We have the God of all creation who fearfully and wonderfully made each and every person. And this God speaks the greatest truth to them that there is eternal life and it's found in him. And all you have to do is believe in the son and you have it. And the very people that God created, just as they've been doing since in the garden with Adam and Eve, they turned their backs and walked away. And I want to point this out to you because Jesus was a very real human who felt the weight of betrayal in these moments. He felt the grief and the pain of having to say hard words to people, knowing that some were going to turn away from what is true, from the things that are right, and what is life-giving, and continue on in their sin. And the very next words are so heart-wrenching to me and they've been haunting me the last couple of weeks as I've been studying this passage. Because Jesus says to disciples in verse 67, do you want to go away as well? There's no bitterness, no sarcasm, the painful questioning of those closest to him, are you going to walk away as well? And Peter just gives the best response here. Lord, To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed, we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else can we go? God, how could we turn away now? After all we've seen, after tasting of this truth, after experiencing the life that you have given, how could we walk away now? And yet we know, and Jesus points out here, still one remained in the twelve who would betray Him. How do we pull all this together? I I want to share with you how I've experienced these truths in my own life. When I became a Christian 15 years ago, I was drawn into youth group uh, by the promise of some new friendships. A few of my close friends started hanging out with all of these choir people, and so they became my friends too. And they invited me to a new youth group. um, And I still remember vividly this one night where I went to youth group, and they were having worship at youth group. And, and I enjoyed singing, and I saw everyone around me close their eyes. So I closed my eyes too. And after the typical kind of verse, chorus, structure of a song, I thought the song was over, so I opened my eyes. But what I saw when I looked around was everyone around me is captivated in this moment. And, and what popped in my head was this, that the people around me, they were experiencing something that I was not experiencing. They had something that I didn't. And that experience, it created a hunger inside of me for whatever it was, that thing that everyone else had. And when I look back over these years that I've been a Christian, it's obvious how God has continued drawing me closer. He's continued giving me a desire to know his word and taking the steps of faith and sharing the gospel with others and seeing lives transformed in discipleship. And, and simultaneously, many of those friends of mine in high school have stopped following the Lord. And when I look at this passage today, I, I have the confirmation that I can't sit here and, and look at all the things that I've done right. I can't say that I made all the right choices and they made all the wrong choices. It, it wasn't like substance abuse or getting part of the wrong crowd or anything like that. We were all drawn to Jesus, but not everyone continues on. And, and this passage reminded me that I was drawn to be a Christian because of my, my friends and I wanted those friendships. And so I was drawn to church because of those friendships. But God was so gracious and merciful to me to tell me there is so much more. Austin, you, speak, you, you seek after the small meal of gaining some friends around you. But let me tell you that there's this deep spiritual food. Eat of this. Consume this. Partake of me. And I was invited to eat the bread of life. And it would be so arrogant of me to to be puffed up by this because Jesus reminds us that none of us would go to the Father if he hadn't drawn us. So as I'm partaking more and more of the spiritual food that he gives, I also find the hard words of Jesus. Jesus tells us that he is the only way to salvation. He commands us to love and care for the poor. He urges us to lay aside those things that hinder us. You know, the things we go to for comfort, like drugs or like pornography, or even those little smaller comforts like gossip and laziness. He commands us to take the gospel to our friends and to our neighbors and to the whole world. And when we read in the word of the sacrifices that we're called to make, You know, the things that make you squirm and make you feel really uneasy, or they put a pit in your stomach because you know the hard things that you have to do, the conversations you know you have to have, and the hardship that it might cause. And when faced with these hard words of Jesus, if we have been feasting on Christ, our spiritual bread, our our everlasting life, the only fitting response of a disciple of Christ is, where else are we going to go? What else am I going to do? Only you, Lord, have the words of life, and only in you am I going to be truly satisfied. And in my life, and I'm sure many of you can speak to this as well, that when the hard things came up, when the requirements of being a disciple came up for someone following Christ, it proves that some people were only there for a snack, and others ate from the eternal bread of heaven. Where are you at today? If you're here and you're not a believer in Christ, welcome. Really glad you're here. You are here seeking bread that is going to leave you feeling hungry again. But I want to tell you that there is bread that will satisfy you for eternity. And it's Jesus. And he lived the perfect life that you couldn't live because of sin. He took your place on the cross and he canceled the debt of sin. And he offers that all who would receive him and believe in Him, He gives them eternal life. Is your trust in Jesus. Look on Him, taste of His goodness, and receive that life that He gives. And to the believer, if you're here and you are trusting in Christ for salvation, I want you to think of that anew today, the great salvation you have in Christ. I want you to recognize that you did not run to Him, but you were drawn to Christ. And in His grace, He fed you the spiritual food. So what are the next steps for you today? Do you find yourself becoming increasingly softened to the words of Jesus? Or are you finding yourself becoming hard? Being a follower of Christ, we are going to be continually challenged to grow in our faith more and more. The Spirit will continue revealing to us the places in our hearts and in our lives that we hold so tightly for control. And He will implore us to submit to God's will. And if we refuse his calling to submit to him, we are no different than those that walk away. Because in those instances, we are saying, that's not the Jesus I want. That's not what I believe in. I'd rather have the quick meal, the bread that comes to me on my own time and on my own agenda. So, where are you refusing to submit to his calling in your life? Is he calling you out of a sin pattern? Is he calling you to pursue missions? Is he calling you to give more of your time or your money to serve others? When you hear his voice calling you, are you going to walk away? Or will you say, where else am I going to go? He alone has the words of life. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you for speaking true words to us, no matter how hard they are to understand or to take. And God, I pray that your spirit would convict us of our sin and draw us even deeper in our understanding of you and our relationship with you. Grow our faith. Show us the spiritual food that we can partake of, that we may have this life that you promise, God.